namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhasa uddhang namang sangang namasami myself what uh, I experience is the most strongest striking uh, effect or uh, of, of practice is just to come into the present moment mm-hmm. something that you know whenever one acknowledges that comes to that practices that as a kind of shift and you can feel you know, the shift away from the momentum of impulses, thoughts, sensations, some of them driven, some of them desperate, some of them dreamy. You know, and just come, here we are. This kind of very, very you know, beginners, if you like, initial uh, meditation instruction, something that's absolutely essential or non-meditation instruction, just sitting, where am I coming into the present moment? Mm. Seeing someone, that mood comes up, the resonances come up, come into the present moment, you know, the, what it reminds me of, uh, how I feel about that, what is going to happen, how I should prepare myself, so forth, come into the present moment. And just doing that with no particular um, judgment or agenda or you know can make something out of it this is going to get me better happier more enlightened or whatever just come into the present moment so even dropping these ideas of awakening or enlightenment or improvement and they're just coming to the present moment because why because once you do it a few times you think something shifted and feels better feels uh, saner feels more balanced you feel hmm you know, now you've got your own level ground, if you like. You're not going down some gradient of bias, uh, either desire, fear, aversion, um, compulsion of some kind. You're here. We are. Do you recognise in the in the icon of the image of the Buddha? The awakening is this moment, earth touching mudra, the moment when the Buddha touches the ground this very kind of grounding um, image here we are, present moment and around the Buddha as he's doing that there's all this host of Mara the kind of gnashing, whining, wheedling, cajoling seductive hordes hammering away and the Buddha just sitting there 
be present, be in the present moment. And what from that present moment, what can one know or say? I know this. I know this is Mara. I know this. Um, and then just staying there, this is where the awareness of the Four Noble Truths, I know that um, suffering is like this, and the cause of it is like this, and the cessation of it is like this, and the path is like, out is like this. One of the um, ways in which the um, realization experience is summarized is a word called atamayata, which means uh, not made of that, literally not made of that. And it means, you know, you can say essentially it means not making anything out of what, what's there. The mind doesn't fashion anything, doesn't add anything to it, it's just this. This kind of um, atamayata or tatata, suchness. The Buddha is called the Tathagata, the one who's gone into suchness the way it is right now. And these are all um, resonant uh, uh, terms. You know, we say, what does it mean? You know, how do you get there? Uh, what do you have to do to, to get that kind of thing? Uh, is it the same as this? Is it the same as awakening or enlightenment or sartori or nirvana? You know, your mind can go buzzing away on it. Um, but essentially, you know, just taking terms like that and feeling it. What does it mean not make anything? You know, just what does it feel like when when right now one stops or has that kind of tone potentizes awareness in that particular way. So, you know, it's almost like you you give permission or you potentize, you say to your awareness, it's okay, just don't make anything out of it. You know, that, that sense. Um, and there's a sort of like, probably for most of us, just for a moment, maybe there's that flash of, oh, and all the density of life, and all the possibilities, and the dreads, and the histories, and the, they did this, and I never liked that, and I can't be this, and am I going to ever do that, and how many of these you need to get one of those, and all that incredibly saturated um, mind stuff just poof, pops, you know, what was all that about, you know, and you, you realize how the, this, um, the mind can, can you know, which is in a way our, our asset is also our greatest uh, problem because of its ability to, to weave intricate, dazzling, convincing mind stuff. You know. And then we get trapped in these skeins of, asp- you know, aspirations and hopes and you know, affiliations and loyalties and convictions and moods and senses of ourself and beliefs and good ideas and not such good ideas and all this stuff, you know, conventional stuff. And really the purity of, of it's like this now, a tummy is not saying, you idiot, what, a, what an idiot you are for believing all that. It's not that. It's not saying this shouldn't be there, snap out of it, or don't think anything, it's just saying 
You know, it's like a very, very needle point present moment of, it's like that. And it gives one the, both the sense of the opening, I mean, you just do it, you know, and you can feel something opening and shifting and almost like, I don't know, you could say energies settling or consciousness expanding or, you know, whichever way, whichever system of words you find helps. Yeah. You think, if there's anything that's about unconditioned or absolute or release, this feels like it could be it or around this. And also it gives one a way, so it gives you a way of kind of touching into the ground of awareness, because in that sense when we are um, present moment just directly aware, it's not there's no awareness, the awareness isn't making anything, it's just being aware, it's just that. So it's kind of unbounded, untrammeled, unsullied awareness. But of course these are all words that can get um, can get deceived by you feel it and it also gives one then a way of of acting or relating to the moving conventional world people things future past duties requirements and so forth, because you, you're giving yourself a space to actually sense that, sense how those, um, the future, the past, oneself, other people, sense the, what, what, what's in there. You know, you get some perspective on it, you can sense, oh, I'm holding that with a sense of fear, I'm holding that with a sense of guilt, I'm holding that with a sense of doubt. And maybe that wasn't so apparent when you're in there, with it, acting on it, and driving away with it, and being it, you know, so that present moment isn't saying you don't have any of these things, but it gives you a way of, oh, that sense of other people, or Buddhism, or meditation practice, or myself, or my future, is held with a certain, I can now, I can sense that, I can sense that feeling of You've got to, you ought to, you shouldn't, you can't, you mustn't, it's always like this. And say, this sounds, that doesn't feel very good, that feels like I'm holding that with a, there's a holding of that with a sense of, of um, negativity, fear, lack of confidence, or whatever. You know, you begin to get a smell of rat, you know. And that can be there in even the most um, fine ideas, can't it? You know, we should all be pure and enlightened and, and practice and so forth. Uh, and that can be held in a very blessed and beautiful way, where there's a feeling of really bestowing and um, you know, lifting ourselves, blessing ourselves, saying maybe be well, maybe we'll be awakened. Or it can be a nagging, can't it? You lazy slacker, get on with it, why don't you ever wake up? You know. <laughs> get down to it, get on with it, you know, stop fooling around. It could be just a kind of nagging harangue, or it could be something that's saying, may you be awake, you know, I really love to have that to happen, you know, may that happen for us, may we open into that. So these, you know, ideas and aspirations can 
carry these undertones of um, negative or beautiful meanings for us. And it's important to be able to get some way of, of reflecting, getting some perspective on all of the ideas and the non-ideas and the moods, both religious or conventional, about oneself, about others, about one's life. And this, what's happening? That feels like that feels like a sense of resignation to me. You know, I'm, I'm holding my life with a sense of, well, you know, it's the best you can do, I suppose, we'll just fumble along and, you know, after all, I'm only a this and I probably can't do much of that and, well, I'll do my best, I suppose. Well, what does that feel like? You know, because you can sense, well, I don't have to uh, carry you know, I, I don't have to say I'm wonderful, marvellous and great and absolutely here and now, but I don't have to have that carry an image or a mood about myself with a feeling of resignation or adulation, negative conceit or positive conceit. You know, because you can feel it, you can feel the effect of that, the, the way in which you can al- almost feel your, your life is already over. You've summed yourself up. And we can carry these rather dog-eared impressions of what we are or what we could be with us. So that when you do that, then that very dog-eared impression acts as a kind of um, a hindrance. It's like you're driving with the brake on. <clears throat> now, some of these things are these impressions we have of ourselves, which may not be thinking, but maybe just mood feelings, you know, that, that uh, it's really important to acknowledge. And so just coming into the present moment, dropping it all, coming to the present moment, and then, you know, allowing some these moods to come up, you begin to taste or smell or feel the quality of them. Here's the worry sense, or the uh, the resignation sense, or the um, I'm really going to get out and get it, you know, get out there. A kind of um, driven sense we can have. Mm-hmm. So we begin to to acknowledge some of our um, habitual tendencies. <coughs> So when you acknowledge them in that way, then just that very act of acknowledgement doesn't participate in those tendencies. The, the, the knowing of that, this is always the fundamental model of mindfulness, is when you mindfully comprehend or mindfully are aware or mindfully you know, attune to something, that very moment or that, that experience of it doesn't participate in that thought or mood, it doesn't crush it, it doesn't participate in it, and then the mood can be allowed to fall away, it tends to subside, because there's no energy going into it. And that's the nature of dhammas, means that they are by themselves changeable and impermanent, so you don't actually have to get rid of them, because they tend to subside by themselves, because that's their fundamental quality, they rise and pass.
Um, but where, why they don't seem to arise and pass is because we don't bring the quality of mindful awareness to bear upon them. So they're always being subtly regenerated and subtly reconditioned in the back of our hearts, in the back of our minds. You know, whatever we're doing, there could be that feeling of, well, you know, I'm not much good at this, but I suppose I better have a go. You know, th- these moods. Or, I'm really going to do it, you know, I'm going to sort of warrior modes. Um, and uh, these, can, these are there um, creating karma for us. And so what's it like if we just say the present moment and don't, don't let there be another one, let it just happen by itself, what's, that, what's it like? You know, there's a sense it could be giddiness, what am I supposed to do about this? And so you get the doubt or the confusion arises and so on. So for, um, you know, most people we may be able to touch that for a moment or two and then these uh, drives or these karmic habits or these perceptual things sweep us away, we get lost. The, that we're not able to sustain that that uh, present moment awareness. Mm-hmm. So this is where, of course, all these systems, techniques, encouragements, conventions, and forms are there to help us hold us into it. So again, you see how the realization of the absolute or the unconditioned does depend upon the conditioned and the absolute and the relative. It's not that that condition and the relative creates it. But it, it, if we cultivate proper conventions and conditions, uh, then they do help to prevent us or check us from following these karmic impulses or help to attune us and, and point us towards realizing, seeing, witnessing, feeling, shifting into that present awareness, which is not created. As we all recognize, then all teachings in the Buddhism or in religion in general, spiritual teachings are always, um, these are conventions, these are uh, are conditioned things. So because of that, they're subject to delusion and confusion and attachment. They're, They're just, as they say, fingers pointing at the moon. So to be able to use these without getting stuck on them, is, is of course the, one of the um, skills that we need to find our way with. So that, you know, avoiding these um, attachment to views, fundamentalist views, views of any kind.
So this is really a matter of almost like of shifting one center, shifting what we, how we, are, how we sense, how we're aware, how we know something, how we know anything. Where do views occur? Where does conceit occur? Where does that tangle occur? Where do the doubts occur? What do they feel like? What does it feel like to hold a view? This is the only way. It's got to be like this. I know it all. Um, I don't know it all. I don't know anything. You know, what is it like to hold a view? What, what does it feel like to hold a view? Hmm. To be defending something. Theravada Buddhism is the best. What does that feel like? Maybe it is, but... <laughs> But actually, what is holding that? You're asking yourself to kind of question these things. What does it feel like? What does it feel like? You say, well, if you're a lay person, then there's no way you should get enlightened. What does that feel like? What does it feel like to say, if you're a, a monk, then you're bound to get enlightened? You know, or if you're a nun, you can't become a Buddha. <laughs> or any kind of view of being better or worse what, what can you sense with that when you begin to sense those things from a present moment of awareness from my mind there's always a sense of something tightens and contracts and becomes narrower there's something to be defended there's something to be held onto there's something to be proved there's something to be rebuffed there's something to be on guard against being challenged. What if I say Theravada Buddhism is the only way, and then somebody says, "Well, yeah, that's true, but you know, it was true a thousand years ago. But since then, we developed this and that. We developed biofeedback machines. We developed psychotherapy. We've developed this, that, and the other. It was great in its day. Obviously, you know, human awareness has shifted along. You know, what happens with that? No, 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 you know, the Buddha, this, that, and then you get this kind of tightening up, holding a view. So when you hold a view, you can feel, in my experience, you can feel something kind of tighten and contract. What means to want to defend or affirm, hold some ground, hold some psychological or emotional ground. So that's that. Hmm. What is it that knows? What's the sense of knowing what a view is? not to not have a view, what is, what is the sense of knowing what a view or an opinion about oneself or anything what is it that knows or senses that in the present moment and we come into that Where is, which feels like the least suffering you know, dropping, right now, do that actually I don't need that view because you know I don't need to hold a um, in the present moment there's no Theravada Buddhism anyway <laughs> to hold on to you know, there's, there's no you know, it's just that so you don't really need that to have something you need to defend and then just beginning to feel what is the bit of awareness you can really find that sense of trust in and you know, and so to me that's always um, important something doesn't have to be defended or proved or certified you know hmm. 
And then, in a way, can one take the risk of reviewing one's experience, one's life, one's beliefs, one's personality, one's situation, through that lens. See how much of it really is worth holding on to. How much of it stands up on its own. How much of it supports that pilgrimage into the present moment. How much of it just keeps taking you out from it. This is, you know, if we're really picking up the invitation, this permission, this invitation to awaken, then it's saying, if you want to pick it up, it means see things, see yourself through this light, see your life through this light. And trust that uh, you see it through this way, it gives you the choice you know, to to act or not to act, but at least you've got some sense of being responsible, free to live your life. In checking it out. Some of the um, guidelines or guidances that are given, I mean, be mindful, yes. Then, of course, you know, one can start to think or about what that could be, what is mindfulness, and so on. How good you have to be at it, are you mindful or not, and so on. So, you know, you can spin out on that. Mm. With kind of really being the simplicity and that trust to, to pick up the invitation into the present. And then, you know, okay, then realizing, yes, you know, what, what actually is useful to be able to do that journey? What helps us to do that journey? What helps us to stay there, you know, to, to, to stay in that focus? To my mind, the very risk of taking that is the act of faith. That's an important part of it. The faith, the sense of um, trust, openness, don't have to know, don't have to believe, just opening into the present, that's part of it. Commitment, stay with it. Determine it. Determine it many times. Uh, Loving kindness and forgiveness, every time you lose it, don't make a problem, don't make an issue out of that. Don't beat yourself up every time you lose it. Forgiveness, loving kindness, permission to make the journey again. Because it's always just a moment away from where we've traveled. And then the gradual through that, then what helps one to to you know to stay in it, to return to it, and then to really deepen into that. examination, investigation these may sound very heady if you like, or feeling out thoroughly feeling one's 
into that. What's it like here? What does the body feel like here? What kind of body is here? Uh, what happens when a thought occurs? Um, what what is the, the how does that relate to what I'm going to do and other human beings and death and you know anything? You know, so you're really expanding and investigating and integrating that into the living experience. And these seem all really um, vital to to fulfil that uh, awakening awakening uh, space moment it seems that the Buddha himself from his original uh, awakening spent six or seven weeks just standing sitting being around in that place deepening feeling it out investigating it enjoying it Uh, uh, so it wasn't just a um, you know, blotting out, but it was also a sense of being able to thoroughly saturate, enjoy, and also to use it for inquiry, understanding. And even even then, when he, he felt that, he still wasn't that clear on how to present that, how he would teach that. It took him a while to work out teachings, and it seems that in his lifetime, he progressively constructed various teaching structures, pedagogical devices, um, over the period of his lifetime he established rules, he didn't come out with a complete blueprint of the Sangha, he just took it a moment at a time and gradually built things up, so it wasn't like um, fully completed on the conventional plane but it you know, the, the Buddha's life story is a presentation of how that present moment awareness integrates into a whole way of living that extends beyond that particular individual into a communities and has managed to keep going throughout this to this present day and we say this is all we're all living dependent upon the Buddha's paramita paramita and paramita is another very useful um, term teaching structure thing to reflect on because paramita are not purely techniques and they're not great ideas you know they're, they're very simple conceptually but rather like um, virtue itself meditation itself it's excruciatingly simple as ideas but it's the the deepening of the heart that occurs through them um, that is is their full value and uh, when you contemplate the, these paramita in uh, Theravada, there are these ten, and these, this very structure seems to have evolved after the time of the Buddha, but it's quite a useful teaching structure. I mean, the, the, what I find is both to know them individually and to sense uh, what, they, what they represent, where they're coming from, um, to know each one individually and what they're about, but also to know what is the common ground. If the common ground is that which is about awakening, presence, then you can uh, feel confident in it. If it's about belief or conviction or proving something or defending something or adopting a view, it doesn't feel right to me. So like every other form of uh, teaching, it's something that one can get either um, you know, fundamentalist about or 
or you can actually just use it. Uh, so the ten paramita, generosity, uh, virtue, um, renunciation, mm. effort, thank you, Virya, ener- actually en- energy, energy, and discernment, and patience, and truthfulness, honesty, truthfulness, um, resolution, loving kindness, and equanimity. They, that may not be the right order, but it's not bad, <laughs> considering what a day it's been. <laughs> I haven't looked at a book for a few years on this one. <laughs> so, when we consider something like generosity, for example, this kind of sense of the opening of the heart, and you know, generosity is not not a really a grip, not just an idea, is it? It's something you do. Uh, morality is not just an interesting notion. It's something you you just do. You put yourself into it. You you re- you give yourself to it. You you take it on. You walk. You talk. You live it out. You act. And with uh, generosity, for example, obviously you're acting very much from the from the heart, from just the sense of this feels like a, um, a place where I, I am less manipulative, less uh, driven, and uh, you know, there's that quality to it, a sense of openness and sharing. And generosity is, is a hallmark of, of all uh, wise and enlightened beings. The Buddha himself is extremely generous, and he said during his many, many lifetimes, he perfected this so many times, giving away giving so much, giving his own life, giving all his possessions, giving, giving up his family even, you know, which is considered to be the ultimate, even more than giving up his own life, giving up his family was considered even more paramount kind of test of generosity and giving than, than uh, any other. Because, and I think in some ways that's, that's I can sense that because, um, you know, certainly for myself, it's more like the oneself one can kind of take on hardships, but I feel more worried and concerned about the hardships of others. And I don't say this from some kind of idea of being altruistic, it's just because I, for myself, something's all right. You know, I know I can handle it or I'm with it, or if I die, it doesn't, that's it. You know, but there's always that sense of I don't know how this will affect other people, or maybe they won't be able to make it. You just that you can't feel so certain. There's a lot more uh, worry and um, feeling I find around you know, other people than around myself. So this act of generosity is not just uh, you know putting 50p in the in the collection box, but it's the real sense of Giving, giving from oneself. Uh, virtue, morality, uh, is that uh, harmlessness. Uh, and in in um, the Buddhist teaching, of course, all the, the morality is always just training oneself to undertake or under, you know, to try to curtail harming other creatures, um, abusing other creatures, abusing your own body through drink or uh, abusing other creatures, violence, sexuality, 
speech, violent, harsh, gossip, backbiting, speech and so on, um, taking that which is not given. So it's, it's, it's just this refraining from this, it's a letting go of these pushes, these driven, t- driving tendencies. And when we do that, you know, there's a feeling of something in us begins to rest into a much more tender and empathic um, sense of who, where we are. Fundamentally, why well, don't do it to others what I don't want them to do to me? Yeah. So it's this sense of some of the boundaries between oneself and others disappear with these these parameters, don't they? You know, the generosity is, you know, it helps to break down the boundaries, and so does morality. So when you you kind of contemplate these things and see that they're common common ground. Um, is this sense of, of liberating the heart from tightness, from defensiveness, from aggression, from selfishness, from greed, and so on. And all of these are cultivated with aditana, which is a sense of commitment and resolution. One keeps working at it, one keeps practicing with it. They're cultivated with a quality of loving-kindness, make the effort with friendliness, with a feeling of this is for my well-being. My whole meditation practice, my Dharma practice, is not there to, to because I should, because I ought to, because somebody wants me to do it, or because it's a great idea, but just for my own well-being. You know, it's, it's a, you see what I mean? It's like, it's not from coming from a head position, it's coming from a heart position. And all these practices are done... Um, with 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 energy, with the energy that one has, and uh, with honesty, this is really what I've got to do. This is what's happening for me. Um, with renu- renunciation, letting go, and with um, equanimity and discernment, panya. So discernment is really important to to see which particular. Where is the boundary? Where is the compulsion right now? Where is the thing to be let go of right now? Because, of course, we can um, be rather simplistic or naive about some of these Dharma practices, you know, like, say, well, just give complete, give yourself completely and complete, you know, effort and energy and commitment. Imagine you can get rather um, fundamentalist on that. And discernment is, is the thing which, wait a minute, the thing that really you need to, the boundary or the thing you need to let go of here is that lack of um, loving kindness towards yourself. You know, so we find where all of these parameters, where they all merge, where one's practice is endowed with a feeling of this is for my well-being, where it is endowed with a sense of I can make a commitment to this, where it is endowed with a sense of this is the truth of the matter, where it is endowed with a sense of discernment, this is the one I, this is where I need to practice, um, this is what I need to let go of, this is what, how I can open, this is where I'm hanging on, this is where I'm getting compulsive attitudes about myself or about others, about my duties and obligations, this is where I need to let go of. For some people it's the sense of, of um, always feeling duty bound, obliged and getting into that uh, driven state 
with, often with uh, good intention, but not really reviewing and examining what is the underlying tone of you should or you ought to or they want you to or it's always or you've got to or nobody else will you know what's that you know, come into the present moment what's that about isn't that something that's going to bring you suffering if it's bringing you suffering how can it be for the welfare of yourself and others is it because you're not coming from a place of truth you're coming from a place of idealism rather than truthfulness and ver- veracity so discernment just to check you know where what's the where's the holding on where's the letting go <coughs> and equanimity means this sense of um, serenity, even-mindedness. Patience, a tremendous parameter. Uh, and certainly in... Um, you, know, you can highlight any of these, really, but uh, the perhaps the... the some of the most uh, crucial ones in, in the forest monasteries are patience and equanimity. Because we tend to be so urgent and so reactive. You know, something's, something's irritating, fix it. You know, something's, somebody's being a bit unpleasant, get rid of them. You know. Uh, make this dif- this different, and we've got highly activated minds um, to do that. We see that we see how things can be improved, and so on. And particularly in the West, we've we've um, learnt to control nature and not put up with what's difficult if we can get away with it. We found ways and means which we can rebuff the elements and get rid of those nasty bugs and you know keep the immigrants at bay and uh, <laughs> not have to be with other people I don't want to be with and have my own space and you know work out the perfect system where it'll be free from any glitches and so on then we get very fired up about that even in uh, you know in monasteries you get these things that where we're not going to be irritating people here, only want pure people, pure, kind, mild, gentle, meek, obedient, docile people here who are keen, committed, but at the same time meek and docile, and at the same time loving and generous, at the same time warm and friendly, and at the same time committed and resourceful, at the same time intelligent, and all this kind of stuff. Well, well, actually, you'd all better leave. <laughs> we don't want any humans in here. <laughs> So, you know, it can get the ideal, idealism, and rather than, well, I can, I can live with, I can bear with the weird and the cranky and the slightly grumpy and the gruff and the moody and the, you know, and just developing that sense, which is when you make commitments to things, then you, you know, you're, you're taking that on. And then now, range retreat, and actually for us, the range retreat is much 
really more like an all, all the year round thing because we're here a lot of the time with each other it really is that the chafing experience of being with people whose views are different whose energies are different whose sense of humor is different you know whose sensitivities are different get upset about different things and focus on different things and feel strongly about this and don't get the point of that you know, irritating I can't be with people like me who are wonderful <laughs> who are normal normal people like me <laughs> You know, so just that sense of, well, but here we are, you know, and uh, that the, uh, you know, this uh, thing that the Buddha laid down, you're stuck here, you're nailed down, you know, and when you take on uh, ordination, that's what it's like, it's like you're just nailed now, you've got no money, you've got no power, and uh, you're in this, and of course we wriggle, and we find little ways we can squirm out of this and bluff that and defend ourselves from that. But at least the, the basic message is there and gradually over time as one's well resources grow it becomes possible to bear with a little more and release a little more and accept a little more and get a little more less fright. The heart can feel that's what I want to do. You know, I can't always do it. But I'd like to move in that direction, you know. I'd like to develop that. And these parameters are ways of giving myself the encouragement to do that. Saying, you know, you don't have to feel good, just be patient. You, know? you don't have to agree, just be, be patient. You don't have to, don't, just, you don't have to defend, just stop reacting. You don't have to be that bright or intelligent, just stop reacting to things. Just patiently be with something and let things fall into place. You know? This is a, certainly patience itself is a is a huge dharma door because of this tremendous karmic volitional push to hurry up and sort it and work with it and fix it. And equanimity is a very powerful dharma door because of our sensitivities, which are always being irritated and aroused and you know this is nice and that's not nice we can always feel that so equanimity is such a huge dharma door because it's not even saying you shouldn't feel that but don't react to it or try to to release those reactions to it or begin to at least understand and contemplate the reactions to those things so it's not even saying thou shalt be equanimous as some state whereby you feel completely serene all the time, but you an encouragement, an invitation to say, just try this, try just being patient and allowing the irritation and the moods that come out of that and see where is it possible to not react. Maybe the first thing I can do is I can actually not physically act upon it. I can do that. I can cut, I can check my reactivity to that extent. I feel myself squirming and whatever and just say but just be here with that be here with that and then maybe I can check my verbal reactions to that instead of complaining or blaming or whatever I can actually release that even then my internal chatter about how it should and it's not fair and why do they and I can't see the point of this 
I can listen to that and I can begin to release that just by being present with it, patient with it. So that the the equanimity is there is the the is the sort of like emotional tone of it's all right to feel that way. That's all right. Don't make anything of it. Atamayata. It's all right to feel that way. Let, let, let that, the equanimity is the place, the fire break. Yeah. And it's, it's these parameters are things that just create these opening shifts where there's the ending of compulsion, reaction, uh, ideas of what you should be. And instead what's replaced is a door to openness and peace. So, you know, something like patience, I suppose you know, I might have been patient on a few occasions. Really deeply patient. Patient to the point when the residues are cleaned out. You know, I've been not bad patient, half patient a lot of the time. And my, my not bad patient is just hang on until it goes. This is the kind of beginner's patient. Means, I'll just hang on and not run away, and not jump up, and not scream, and eventually it will go away. And oh, it's gone now. You know, that's my teeth gritting patients, white knuckle patients. You know. And that's not not bad, but it's not really the completion of patience, because there's still that the residue of, you know, pain. Uh, resistance, uh, defensiveness around it. So the real perfection of patience is when the mind feels sweet at the end of it. When you actually carry that through until you're even patient with your fury and the, 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 you know, those moods that come up when you're having to be patient. You're patient with all the reactions and equanimous with them, and loving with them. So all of those paramita, where they all work and merge, you get the fulfillment of them. So any one of those paramita you pick on, you know, if you bring all the others to bear upon it, it takes you to that same place, a place of sweetness. You know, it's kind of... Um, where the residues of attainment, or struggle, or doubt about whether I can keep doing this, or feeling compelled to do it, or, and so on. All those very residues are also released. So it doesn't become a, I am a patient person. And there's still some, there's still some holding on there, isn't there? Or I should be more patient. There's still some holding on there. Or patience is the only way. <laughs> There's holding on there, isn't there? You know, there's still residues left of conceit or resignation or doubt or whatever, you know, pride. But the purity of it is just just being that, because it feels right, feels good.
it undoes me, mm. frees. Mm. And we begin to, through these Dharma doors, we begin to find more and more the ability to, to sense, intuit, discern, feel into that open space, uh, space of awakening. This must be it. It must be this. You know, when you scan through the realms of experience, what's, what's the one which isn't about becoming anything or having anything? What's the one that's present? What's the one where the sense of self, past and future and even the present don't take, take hold? Couldn't it be this? Anyone? Um,